0: Episode 134 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Who's supposed to be standing by? Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. All right, welcome to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I'm Chris Hahn, at Christopher Hahn on Twitter, Christopher Hahn NY on Instagram. If you uh, want to see pictures of my dogs and my ties, Thank you so much for downloading, liking, subscribing, telling your friends about this podcast. We continue to grow, and I truly appreciate it. I owe it all to you uh, for for really keeping me uh, doing this. It's great. I'm enjoying it. Uh, And uh, we've got a lot to talk about today, so let's get started. I mean, uh, on Monday, that maniac Steve Bannon turned himself in. And, of course, ever the theatrical political player that he's always been, by the way, for his whole career. he he made the most of it doing a press conference after he was, I guess, booked and released uh, in court today where he told everybody to stand by. Now, was he telling everybody to stand by or was he telling the Proud Boys to stand by? I remember the former guy telling people to stand back and stand by. Uh, Bannon was out there ranting and raving and going on like a lunatic about how they messed with the wrong guy. Uh, Wait a minute. So when Republicans are in charge of Congress, Congress gets to subpoena anybody they want, including uh, the former First Lady, Senator, and Secretary of State of the United States, Hillary Clinton, who eventually showed up, testified for 11 hours. But by the way, even when she was working with those subpoenas, she was providing documents, doing all these other things. Steve Bannon provided nothing. Steve Bannon is trying to say he is subject to executive privilege. Now, it's hard to see how executive privilege applies to Steve Bannon's involvement on January 6th. Now, I'm not saying executive privilege never applies to former White House staffers and federal officials. It could if you're talking about things like national security. But if you're talking about politics like the results of the election or how a campaign gets run or maybe engaging in a criminal conspiracy. That privilege does not apply. In fact, privileges never apply to criminal uh, to criminal conspiracies uh, other than marital privilege, spousal privilege, I should say. Um, so executive privilege will not apply here. Congress wants to ask questions about what was going on in Steve Bannon's war room on January 5th at a hotel that was not the White House. Steve Bannon has been asked to cooperate. He has not exerted privilege on anything specific. They have just exerted privilege because just like everything else the former guy did, they don't really do the work. They don't do the research. They don't try to say this is privilege, that is privilege. No, everything they think is privilege. And then, of course, the right-wing echo chamber will help them with this. But I don't think it's going to work here, Uh, you know, at least with normal people, right? I I mean, you know, I'm going to talk about infrastructure in a minute, but there's, there's like, really, there's like two worlds that we live in right now. There's a world where people look at facts and they try to make a decision based on the facts. And then there's a world where people are just putting on their red shirt and saying, I'm with Trump, I'm with the Republicans, no matter what, no matter what. And the people who are going to be with Trump no matter what, the people who are Democrats are always wrong no matter what, will never see the light here. They'll never agree with me and you about what should have happened uh, with Steve Bannon when he was subpoenaed or not even subpoenaed. He shouldn't have even had to be subpoenaed. He should have just cooperated with the committee. He is not a government official. He was not a government official at the time of January 6th. He was a, a podcast host. I, I'm a podcast host. Do I get to exert executive privilege? Blanketly, just put a blanket of executive privilege over everything I do? Because I may have had a conversation with a president at some point in time, which I have, by the way, in my life. So do I get to exert executive privilege because of a conversation I had with the president when I didn't work for him? I don't, I don't think so. So, uh, you know, it, it's not going to work. He's got to cooperate. What he said outside the courthouse and what he probably said inside the courthouse are probably two very different things. You can't just say everything's privilege. You got to say this is privilege, that is privilege. You got to show up for the subpoena and you got to exert your claim of privilege. And when you can't exert your claim of privilege, you need to testify. And if you don't want to testify because it might incriminate you, you got to take the Fifth Amendment. Practice saying i plead the fifth mr bannon or you know get ready to wear an orange jump shoot. they only give you one shirt in prison you don't get to wear the five shirts this guy likes to wear I, i've never seen a style like this i don't think it was ever a style to wear multiple shirts but that's steve bannon's thing i mean maybe it was a thing in the 80s and i just missed it cuz i was too young but it is it is a weird look that this guy has it's almost like he's wearing all of his it's almost like when on Friends when Joey went, uh, you know, put on all of his clothes. <laughs> I'm wearing all your clothes. <laughs> and I'm going commando. Uh, but let's not let's not digress too much. But anyway, I, I'm interested to know who he's asking to stand by. What that's supposed to be. What is that code for, Steve? You want people to spill blood in the streets because you won't answer a freaking subpoena to testify? Because you don't want to talk about what you did that day? Well, if you've got nothing to hide, why are you hiding? That's what I, I think. That's what America. That's a question everybody needs to be asking. If you've got nothing to hide, why are you hiding? Answer me that question, Steve. You dirty dog. All right. Let me talk for just a minute about uh, the infrastructure bill. President Biden, surrounded by uh, Chuck Schumer and, and and labor leaders and the vice president, um, and and Kristen Cinema and Rob Portman. Kristen Cinema got to speak at the event. Uh, sign the infrastructure bill on Monday. And, and I was thinking about this because, you know, a friend of mine tweeted out, I'd hate to be a Republican who voted against building a bridge in your community. Well, two things. One, that person will go and take credit for the bridge being built, even though they voted against it, which we've already seen happen uh, from the other bills that Biden's passed this year, the rescue plan from, from back in January and February. Um, but two, it doesn't matter anymore, right? We live in a world, as I was just saying, where people are just rooting for their team in politics. And it's driving me crazy. The fact, you know, this is a thing that used to matter, right? I got a bridge built. I got a tunnel built. I fixed a road. I, you know, brought Wi-Fi to my community that's never had community. And by the way, the communities that most need Wi-Fi are rural communities who have Republican representatives who did not vote for this bill. Maybe their senator did. 19 senators voted for it. Only a handful, I think 11 or 12, uh, members of the House voted for it. And, and most of them were from New York, right? I mean, you know, you're know, you Nicole Malliotakis and you represent Staten Island. You're not going to vote for the infrastructure bill. Of course she's going to vote for it. And she did. Staten Island, I mean, you can't get to Staten Island without infrastructure. Staten Island doesn't exist without bridges and tunnels and, and ferries to get people on and off of it. And ports. That's what Staten Island is. Staten Island is, you know, the poster child for the need for more infrastructure, better infrastructure, improved infrastructure. Of course, Nicole Malliotakis is going to vote for it. Of course, people like Andrew Garbarino out on Long Island, where, uh, you know, the railroad and 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 the Long Island Expressway are in dire needs of repair and expansion. Of course, he's going to vote. And by the way, Garbarino's case. And by the way, all these people are getting death threats across the country for doing this. In Garbarino's case. He got a death threat. He got a death threat from a retired railroad worker, a guy who worked on the Long Island Railroad, a state-run railroad, who is living on a government pension right now, threatened the life of Congressman Garbarino for voting for an infrastructure bill. I just want you to examine the stupidity of that person threatening somebody. This is a guy who his entire life, everything he has, is the result of infrastructure spending and government spending. Everything this man has. And he threatened the life of Garbarino for supporting the Biden communist agenda. <laughs> now, I'm sorry, sir. Um, who are you calling a communist? You worked for the railroad are living on a government pension and probably Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security as well. I didn't dive too deep into it. But I know you are a retired railroad worker. You threatened the life of a congressman. For supporting you. Okay. This is the problem in America though. That guy that threatened the life of Congressman Garbarino. Is basically everywhere. People who just don't understand. What government does anymore. And their minds are so warped by the echo chamber. That they have allowed themselves to be pulled into. That anything that they perceive. As helping Joe Biden, even though the infrastructure bill helps everybody, right? Donald Trump had infrastructure week 30 times in his four-year presidency, 30 times. Oh, it's infrastructure week around here. We're going to talk about infrastructure. And they would talk about how we need roads and bridges and everything. And they, and they couldn't get it done. Biden got it done. He got it done. And he got it done in a bipartisan way. It got through the Senate in regular order. There was no, this was not a reconciliation bill. This was regular order order in the U S Senate, meaning it cleared the 60 vote threshold. And you got, you know, idiots on the right, because, you know, of course the former guy tweets out or he can't tweet anymore, but he, he puts out a statement saying, this is just, these people are traitors and they're supporting the Biden agenda. And then, you know, people like Marjorie Taylor green tweet out their phone numbers. You know, it was their district office numbers. So I'm not going to go that crazy about it, but she calls them traitors, call them up, tell them they're traitors. And then you got a wacko like this threatening to kill a congressman for voting for infrastructure improvement when the guy worked in infrastructure his whole freaking life. What an idiot. You know, I I hope somebody's pointing out to this guy as he's being carted off to jail how he made his living and how he still survives. Survives enough, being retired, living on Long Island. You know, Long Island's not cheap. So, you know, who's paying for you? You think it's just what you put in, which is why you get to keep living the way you're living. And and by the way, I paid to go on that railroad for many years. So, God, it just it baffles my mind. And And I don't even want to get into Paul Gosar and his ridiculous anime film which shows him killing AOC and threatening the life of President Biden. You know, screw that guy. By the way, he was somebody's dentist at one point in their life. I hear he was like an award-winning dentist. He was a dentist? You want that guy administering Novocaine to you? Not me. Not me. You know what I would like to see? I would like to see the American Dental Association get rid of this guy's license to practice dentistry. Because he's threatening people's lives on the internet. That's what I would like to see. I mean, we always go on these campaigns to get rid of people's law license when they do stupid things like this. Well, this guy was a dentist. I'm pretty sure dentists have license. In fact, I know they have license. You know, doctors are a profession. Profession means you have a license. I have a license to practice law. It can get taken away from me if I do something stupid like threaten people's lives, which I would never do. Well, he did something stupid, and maybe it should be revoked. And, you know, it would be great if doing something stupid like that had consequences because, you know, five years ago, if a member of Congress of either party did something stupid like that, the leadership in their own party would take their committees away, tell them not to run again. Right? They would do that. Remember Steve King from Iowa? He made a statement about somebody's calves being like cantaloupes and it was considered racist, and the party said, you're off committees, and he didn't run again. Or he ran, he got primary by the party. He wasn't supported, and he lost. What happened to that? Well, you know, I'm sorry, Kevin McCarthy can't afford to lose one single vote if he wants to be Speaker of the House, so he's not going to do anything. He will let this country burn to the ground for the chance to have an office on the other side of the Capitol where the Speaker's is. God, he sucks. He just sucks. And Steve Scalise, you know, he probably would have tweeted out the same video if he wasn't in the leadership. So he's not going to do anything. I, I, It's it's baffling to me, baffling to me that, that people can get away with this and be members of Congress. They can be members of Congress and their own, you know, if this was a Democrat that tweeted something out like that, there would be immediate consequences for it. Immediate consequences. There would be a censure resolution on the floor by the Democrats to censure them, there would be uh, sensitivity training around it, and if it happened again, they'd get rid of the person. I, I I I'm blown away. And by the way, I'd be condemning it personally, which I have in the past when Democrats have said things that I don't uh, think are good. Uh, there's been some anti-Semitic statements by certain members. I won't get into it, but we know who they are. I've condemned it on national television. Democrats put a sense, uh, put a censure resolution on the floor and passed it. That person went the sensitivity training, came out, did an interview, said, "You know what? Uh, I was brought up to believe one thing, and I was completely wrong, and this opened my eyes." Yeah, that's what happens when Democrats do stupid stuff like that. All right, so I have a fantastic guest. Uh, she's been on the show before, Olivia Troy, former national security advisor to three presidents, all Republicans, by the way, two presidents, both Republicans. Um, but obviously one of the people who 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 really turned on Trump, she is the executive director of the Republican Accountability Compot, uh, Project, which, which hopes to hold people like Paul Gosar and other insurrectionists, um, accountable for the actions in destroying this country. I, I hope they're able to, I really do. So I'm gonna take a quick break. I'll be back with Olivia Troy, and we'll be back after the news to wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening to the show, man. You really a great. Olivia Troy is a former national security advisor to two presidents and a former senior aide to vice president Mike Pence. And she did resign from that post. And if you, if you haven't seen it, you've been living under a rock. She is a recent signatory to a letter of multiple national security uh, advisors. Uh, I guess I'm saying that right, uh, that are questioning whether we are prepared for the growing storm of unrest in this country. Olivia, how you doing? Hey, Chris,
1: how are you? Did I get all that right? Did I get, get,
0: did I get all that right?
1: Yeah. So it's pretty much correct. I've been um, in the national security field for, I guess, two decades now. Time just sort of, sort of flies. Um, Hard to believe it's been that long. Um, But yes. And then, uh, and thank you. Yes. Thank you for mentioning the letter. Um, The letter is comprised of, it's nearly about 100 national, former national security officials, ambassadors, military officers, intelligence officers um, of very senior ranks who have served both in Republican and Democrat administrations, and in some cases, both um, both, both uh, parties, administrations. And um, we, there are conversations that have been happening amongst us, um, and I will say that we are increasingly concerned about what we see happening here um, in the United States. You know, we, we're so used to looking at global threats. We're looking at foreign adversaries and you know, tracking those types of threats. And, and we have a full understanding of what we've seen with countries when they go through in terms of threats to their democracy and what leads to their decline. And I have to say it's very hard to see that. Sort of trend and those types of threats happening here within um, yeah. within our country.
0: Yeah, and, and what you know? So walk me through the letter. Right, it was drafted by, as you said, uh, over a hundred people who have been in who've worked in national security in both Democratic and Republican administrations, and they lay out the case that these threats need to be taken as seriously if not more seriously than our foreign adversaries, because it's always been said about the United States of America, nobody could ever take us out, uh, you know, via war. We would only take ourselves out.
1: That's correct. And so we, in the letter we talk, we, uh, it mentions, um, it talks about foreign adversaries and the fact that they, we know that the extent that they're capable of exploiting uh, when they see divisions in our country, when they see cracks in the foundation, I would say of our democracy. Um, but what, why, why this is sort of a moment like no other is that not only do we now have foreign adversaries that are a threat to us, ongoing threat, but we have a domestic um, dynamic going on right now, whether it's in you know, leaders, elected leaders right now who are spreading disinformation and misinformation um, on our election process and undermining our democracy in that way. Uh, and by their statements and their behavior and their actions. And when you have that dynamic, it, it's sort of like a combination. It's a congruence of foreign adversaries and then domestic yeah. adversaries. And you are creating this prime environment for not only you know, potential for political violence and, and acts of violence going forward in terms of our elections, which we've seen already happen. We've seen the, the potential... And the actual escalation of what happens in that scenario when people spread lies and conspiracies. Um, But it is very concerning because now those images, let me tell you, are completely used to adversaries' advantage when you have the January 6th images, right, of this is America, look at what's happening there. So it's disturbing on many levels, and it's disturbing on the threats that continue to rise here. Um, On the other part of the letter that I should mention is we're very concerned about what we're seeing in terms of the attacks on election officials mm. uh, and the potential for you know, threats um, on the lives of election officials at the state level and threats against polling places. And that is one thing that we are calling on Congress for. We want more action on on actual real penalties for when these types of threats happening happen, because we don't think that they're going away anytime soon. And it is it is intimidating. You know, I, I'm sure you get the threat sometimes. Yep. I certainly have learned what that world is like um, in, throughout this past year in my life. And I, it is, it, it's intimidating and it's bullying. And these are people that they're the backbone of our electoral process. Right? They are nonpartisan. They are what makes our electoral system work. And we're seeing a lot of them leave. At at high volumes, we're seeing a lot of them leave their roles and and we need them. Um, And I will say that the other aspect, I guess, of this letter is also what we're seeing in terms of what's happening at the state level of the types of laws that are taking effect in terms of legislation. Uh, That is something that's very concerning to us, where we're seeing the potential for people being placed in critical roles in a very hyperpartisan fashion in roles that traditionally would be nonpartisan. Yeah. In an effort to really lay the groundwork going forward. And that is that I think is is even more alarming. So because what, I think it it raises a lot of flags going forward. What
0: are some of the solutions, you know, this group are offering to kind of correct this path? I mean
1: there's a number of things. Um you know, we we have talked about this. We've talked about, you know, Congress, I mean, they could require paper ballots. Um, we think that there should be measures adopted to ensure and protect election records and keep equipment safe. That's one thing that we're very concerned about, um, you know, in terms of, you know, if there's an election result and they can be easily verified in the event of a dispute. But what we're trying to prevent is ongoing things like what we saw in Arizona. Right. with um, what I call the, the fraud, it. that's the, what I call the it. The
0: fraud, it. First, yes. First,
1: but, um, <laughs> but, you know, where equipment was taken by unvetted individuals, and, and there's so many ways to exploit that equipment, um, potentially. And and we don't know, you know, people don't really understand the extent of threats of the different tactics. That, going back again, globally, foreign adversaries can take advantage of those situations as well. and so. It's a complex problem of not only the scenario undermining our democracy, what that means to the will of the people, of overturning the will of the people when people go out and vote and an election is potentially overturned because of what has, the groundwork has been laid in place, but also twofold, the danger of that for, for potentially for an adversary taking advantage and exploiting that opportunity as well.
0: Yeah. So when
1: you take a step back, this is my worst nightmare.
0: My, I think it's everybody's worst nightmare and something has yes. got to give here or we're not going to have this republic for much longer. I mean, Franklin said it's a republic if you could keep it. Olivia is also, I should point out, the executive director of the Republican Accountability Project, which is trying to hold some Republicans, I, like, like people like Paul Gosar, I would imagine. Um, you know, that kind of yes. you know, imagery that he put out this week was just completely uncalled for. This is a member of Congress. Uh, it's ridiculous.
1: It's atrocious. Um, but, you know, what is concerning about that is that, like you said, he is an elected official and his behavior that he's exhibiting, that only fuels the inspiration for others. Yep. Um, And, you know, it may be, he may think that it's a game, right? And it may, you know draw some of his followers and they cheer him on but there are others out there who are internalizing that yep and who are watching this behavior and say yeah you know what let's let's go let's go do that let's go threaten life and i don't know how um, it's appalling that he can get away with that um, I, I, everybody should be calling I, him out on this right six now 6
0: years ago everybody <laughs> would be right i mean you know 6 years yeah. ago he would have been called out by the leadership of his own party. Um, it, it's just it's it's so amazing how corrupted our politics has gotten because of the former guy. He just corrupted the Republican Party to the point where they accept all sorts of abhorrent, you know, behavior that never they never would have accepted. Which is why, you know, people like you. Uh, who are, are trying to hold them accountable, you know, I should point out, Olivia, it, I don't know if you're still a registered Republican, but you were uh, up until recently, if you aren't still. And, 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 you know, and you're trying to hold that party accountable. We need, I think, two parties to kind of work things out in this country. But what we have is one party that's fighting amongst itself and one party that doesn't believe in anything. But
1: right, and that is that is a more alarming thing is that we don't, have a functioning Republican Party right now, I would say. And I guess maybe they are functioning, but they're an extremist party right now. And the issue with not calling people out like the gozers of the world, Marjorie Taylor Greens, when they don't do that, you're 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 sort of like you're saying it's OK. You're mainstreaming it. Right. Right. And so when you look back on it and you look at some of the movements within the Republican Party the concern is the traction that this is kind of gaining. And um, I think you, that is why I think looking back at January 6th and the lack of accountability for these individuals thus far is extremely concerning. And that's why the investigation matters.
0: It totally uh, matters.
1: Because the truth matters.
0: And, and you know, truth we, matters, we, right. we we see these people calling out uh, each other, Republicans calling out other Republicans for like voting for the infrastructure bill. Now you're going to call out Nicole Malliotakis, the congresswoman from Staten Island, for voting for infrastructure. It means you've never been to Staten Island because Staten Island <laughs> needs a lot of yes. infrastructure improvements. Uh, what is she supposed to do? Not vote to fix the bridges that connect her island to everywhere else? I, I don't. I don't understand how infrastructure, you know, is is worthy of people being called a traitor and having their phone numbers voxed by doxed by a by a fellow member of congress
1: it's crazy yeah but you know what that does it's um it's bullying and it's intimidation and it is it sets it continuously sets the stage for fear yeah because now going forward you have this small group of Republicans who are like, I'm just trying to do what's right for the people that elected me. <laughs> and the right thing is to vote for this bill because it is what my community needs. Right. And I understand what the voters need. That's, that is why I'm supporting this um, right now. And what happens the next time? Right? right? And I think that that is why this is so so ugly and unfortunate. And it's a detriment to all of us. But uh, whether, you know, for Republicans out there who are still hanging on, Um, it's a detriment to them, right? Their communities probably need, they need infrastructure. Yeah. And there's going to be other things like this where people are scared to vote on just principle for what their communities need because it's going along with the Biden, and I put that in quotes, agenda. Yeah. I mean, that is, it's just a horrible, it's a horrible place. And I think it's it's horrible for our country. And it got
0: 19 Republicans in the Senate. It wasn't like it was a, you know, one party bill coming out of the Senate. It was a bipartisan agreement reached in the Senate uh, that the House right. finally took up after, you know, much, much, much demands by the House leadership to have a vote on it. Well, there you, you got your vote, the Republican leadership in the House. You got your vote on it and you whipped against the vote. And 11 members said, you know what? My community kind of needs some sewer upgrades and my community's airports falling apart and I'm Nicole Malio Staten Island just go there. it's a it's a it's a <laughs> construction project the entire island. Uh, you know it, it's it's a it's it's amazing to me to see this. All right I want to switch gears just for a few minutes. I have a few minutes left with you. I know you got a rush tonight and I really do appreciate you taking the time. You're going through a health care issue at home with with your mom and uh, you know I, I just just tell me you know, how you're feeling about Medicare and Medicaid and the whole process and, and what it's doing to you and your family.
1: Um, it is, I have to say that this has been a very eye-opening experience. And I think that, you know, I, I, it's one of those things that I think you, a lot of people don't really understand uh, this whole process, especially when it comes to elder care and how it affects families and and our loved ones until you live it yeah. and you, and you go through it firsthand. And it's, it's so confusing. I have spent hours now, um, in the past two weeks, like my mom had a really bad fall. Thankfully she's, she's okay, but she's going to require a lot of care, um, right now and hoping that she recovers, but it is so confusing to navigate the site and they, they don't make it easy, no. and I will say that I've learned the difference between managed Medicare, which I didn't—I I don't think that I really understood. Um, my mom had done this all on herself, and I—I I have all I can say is that I'm still learning. But this is a horrible system. I yeah. just have to fix this. I, and I mean that wholeheartedly. And look bad on me for not really understanding how the healthcare system really works. I mean, I worked on the COVID pandemic. I understand, you know. Threats right. and crisis. And, well,
0: you were you were a national security advisor. You were not, you know, yeah. you were not in healthcare. To your defense, I'll, I'll defend you if nobody else will. Of you, I've got <laughs> you back. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> I, I know I, the feeling. Having been a congressional yeah. aide, having been a Senate aide, when something bad happens that I should have known about, I, you know, while I was there, I get all down about why didn't I fix this? But I didn't know about it <laughs> when I was there. So, yeah, and I just, you know, it affects. Uh,
1: a lot of people is what I will say, and um, you don't really understand how much it's going to impact you um, until you're you're facing it, really. And by then, at that point, it's a little too late. I will say, yeah, because you're already whatever. Yeah,
0: you're in it. You're, you're dealing with the crisis, and you're trying to navigate the system, and it's impossible yeah. to do both at the same time. Um, what is? Has there been anybody who's been helpful? Has there any been? Has there been any silver linings? Have you found anything? Uh, beneficial?
1: I, you know, I will say that, um, I, I am really grateful. Uh, like I've, I have, i am, i have always been grateful to, uh, the, the doctors and nurses when you have these healthcare practitioners, um, they have been incredible, um, in terms of just getting me through this and the education of it. And I think that, you know, in some cases I will say, I'll be honest, uh, some of them have said they have learned with me on things because it's so complicated. Right. And, you know, I, I come in there, you know, it, I mean, it's terrible, right? I am a career rental officer. Let me tell you, when I come in, I come armed with facts and research right? and I come in with pages and I'm, I'm coming in with all this stuff. And I think they're, they're kind of surprised too, because they're just like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that either. Um, I will say that I, I found um, it. I like, I have no connection to this site and, or the organization, but I randomly looked into this advocacy organization, um, the medicareadvocacy.org. they the way they explain this on their, web, on their website and things that they explain are very accurate and super helpful. Well we
0: need to and, check we need to check them out and I'm running out of yeah. time with you, and I just want to make sure everybody knows. yeah she's Olivia of Troy on Twitter. she is the executive director. Of the Republican Accountability uh, uh, Project And she's a friend of mine Olivia Troy I love having you on the show Next time we have you back We'll have you for the whole hour So we can really get into detail here With some stuff So I hope everything works out with your mom Thanks for joining me Thank you I hope you like Olivia Troy I love talking to her And I love seeing her on MSNBC She has such a great perspective And I I, I believe her uh, On a lot of things So I'm really happy that she's one of the honest people out there. I mean, her views are not always the same as mine on things, but she loves America. And I think that's important right now. Uh, You know, one of the guys who I don't think loves America is Michael Flynn. Uh, You've seen me tweet about him. I've talked about him here. I think he's a traitor to this country. Uh, Over the weekend, uh, he said, if we're going to be one nation, we need one religion. I don't know what could be less American than calling for one religion. It's literally the first thing in the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law establishing a religion or preventing the free, uh, I guess, practice thereof. I don't know, something like that. Uh, I'm quoting it, right? I'm not reading it. A lot of people will read it. They'd have it ready. They got all their guys working on their podcasts, and then like five people listen to it. I got thousands of people listening to it, and no, I don't have a card in front of me, uh, but I'm pretty close to what the First Amendment says. Uh, Pretty much... One of the things that one of the reasons why there is in America is because there were some people being persecuted for the religion in Europe. And they came here and they said, you know what? We're never going to let that happen again. So in America, you don't get persecuted for the worshiping of your religion or, or not worshiping at all. And Mike Flynn's out there, of course, you know, playing to these people who think that they're going to be the winners when they might not be. <laughs> and they're saying, he's saying, look, we, we're going to be one nation. We need one religion. And when's he going to apologize for that? What's he going to tell Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump who are not the same religion as him? Does he, does he know that? Does he understand that Jared Kushner's Jewish? So is Ivanka Trump, the former guy's daughter. They don't even have the same religion as her father does, who quite frankly, you know, anybody who comes out there and says two Corinthians hadn't been to church in a long, long time. So, um, when I saw that, uh, I reacted as I normally do. And, uh, Wasn't too happy about it. Let's just put it that way. But this is the thing. Everything's a battle. Everything's a war. And in that crowd, there probably were multiple people who had different religions than Michael Flynn. Are are they going to turn on Michael Flynn for that? This is what I don't understand. I know in the Republican coalition, I know in the former guy's coalition, there are people who have different faiths even different branches of Christianity. You're going to say Christianity is the one religion in this country. Which branch of Christianity? Because, you know, in Europe up until, you know, 100, not even 100 years ago, up until like 10 years ago, in England, England and Ireland, they were fighting a a war over how to practice Christianity, whether we should be Protestant or Catholic in a certain part of that country. So, So what are you trying to say, Mike? Which branch of Christianity? Your branch, whatever that might be? Or is it just any Christianity? As long as you say you're Christian. As long as you believe in Jesus. I don't I don't get it. This is America. This is a guy, Michael Flynn, one of the most un-American people on the planet, wanted President Trump to declare martial law because he lost a freaking election. How that man ever became a general in the United States Army makes me question how the army operates. You know, I used to have a lot of deference to people who becomes general. But that guy, traitor, became a general in this country. And we need to be looking at that. We need to be making sure that that never happens again. I I still don't understand why Congress hasn't passed a series of reforms based on what the former guy did to this country. You know, putting some framework around the presidency, putting some guardrails around the presidency's relationship to Congress. I don't understand why that hasn't happened. Normalizing things that have been traditions in this country that the former guy showed were just traditions. And they relied on people of goodwill. People who actually had shame. People who, like, if they didn't do it, they would be shamed into doing it and then they would do it. Things like releasing your taxes if you're the president. (laughs) You know, everybody else has done it since Nixon. Why didn't this guy do it? Because there's no law that makes him do it. Things like not hiring your children. I mean hasn't been done not in a long time i guess kennedy hired his brother and that was bad enough but that was a long time ago um the white house i guess you could have your you could give your daughter a desk in the west freaking wing i guess that's okay um when is congress going to act on that why has that not taken place yet that's questions that i'm going to ask and i guess we'll ask on we'll future podcasts. but Uh, Right now, I'm going to remind you, as I always do, to seek the truth, to question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.